0: Good morning, Redemption Parker. How's everyone doing today? Good, sweet. Well, I'm Rick. I'm one of the elders here, and it is my great privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you guys. Um, So why don't we turn to Colossians 1. That's where we'll be this morning. You can start making your way there now. Colossians chapter 1. Now, I, I got to warn you, I'm, I'm a bit morbid, um, like, like I really, really like to think about death. I, I try to do it as, as often as I, I can. If, if, you, if you walked into my office, you'd, you'd notice the many hourglasses and, and multiple skulls. These are my memento moris, right? If I can get Holly to, to give me the green light, my, my next tattoo will be that Latin phrase, memento mori, which means, remember, you will die. Pastors, especially during the medieval church, would often have a skull on their desk to just remind themselves, I will die. Sometimes in prayer, You can catch me just staring off into my future self. I know, I'm kind of weird. Holly's embarrassed now. But Eden's smiling. But, But thinking about my impending death has a way to wake me up to the gift of life. Just last week, I was tired, anxious, thinking about all the things I needed to get done. And then it turned into a, a sadness, a, a melancholy. Just felt a, a purposelessness in my life. So, so, how did I snap out of it? I went to one of my favorite prayer walks in Parker, the Parker Cemetery. And, and I, I definitely snapped out of it. We, we, we don't like to talk about death in our culture, but, but we're all headed there. We're all going to die. And for some reason, at least for me, thinking about death, it gives me clarity as to why I'm living. I, I, I don't just come back from the cemetery not sad anymore. I come back pumped up about the life I have, the dash in between January 15, 1988, and whenever I take my last breath, I come back pumped to not waste a second of that dash i come back knowing my why my reason for getting out of bed every morning but but oh how easy it is to forget our why what's your why what gets you up out of bed every morning what's the purpose of your existence what's your why The Apostle Paul in our passage this morning is going to show us his why. And though his why as an Apostle might not look the same as yours, he's also going to show us his how. And how the Apostle Paul in Colossians is able to live out his why has the potential to be revolutionary for how we live out ours. So if you're not already there, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week. So we'll start in verse 24. And we'll make it eventually all the way to verse 5 of chapter 2. That's our text. Paul Paul ended our passage last week in verse 23 when he was talking about his calling. He, he, He says... Of which, speaking of the gospel, of which I, Paul, became a minister or servant. Paul, the servant of the gospel, a minister in Christ's church. This is who the apostle is. This is his calling. Well, let's look at his why. Verse 24, this is the word of God. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a servant, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Now we'll come back to that phrase, lacking in Christ's affliction, in a minute, but do you see what Paul's why is? Or rather, I should say, do you see who Paul's why is? Verse 24, for your sake. End of verse 24, for the sake of his body, that is the church. Verse 25, given to me for you. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Middle of verse four, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Do you see Paul's pastoral heart? His why is God's people. It's as simple as that. Here's a few things that that Paul says about the people of God throughout his letters. They are his joy, his glory, his crown, his reward, his very own heart. What's Paul's why? You see it right there in the middle of verse 28 of chapter 1. That we may present everyone, everyone, mature In Christ, Paul's why his his purpose of existence is to see the children of God grow up, getting the children of God out of the kiddie pool. So, so what is Paul doing to accomplish that? Why? Look at the end of verse twenty-four. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Then skip to the end of verse 2 in chapter 2. To reach all the riches A full assurance of understanding of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's no surprise um, that that the hymn from last week that was all about the supremacy of Christ is at the center of Paul's ministry as well. Paul is, is making the, the word of God known to the people of God. He, he's marveling with them that, that they, as Gentiles and Colossae, are being included into the family of God. And as a servant of the gospel, Paul is heralding this gospel message with a laser-like focus on the person of Christ. Christ Jesus is the content of Paul's ministry through preaching, teachings, warnings. It's Christ and Christ alone whom Paul is feeding to the children of God. Because how, however far along you are in the Christian life, we need more of Jesus, not less We can never graduate from from Christ and the gospel because it is only in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what Paul says. Look at the middle of verse 2 again. He wants the Colossians and us, Redemption Parker, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery And what's that mystery, Paul? Keep reading. God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge found in Christ. Wow. We need to let that sink in. And and now he's telling... The Colossians, this for a specific purpose, if we keep reading verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now Mark will will jump into the plausible arguments next week, and as they come up throughout the letter, it's one of the purposes Paul even wrote this letter, But, but there's definitely a point of application here for us, though these plausible arguments are not the same arguments that we are hearing in, in Parker, Colorado, 2023, the answer is nevertheless the same. All the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, contrary to what our culture tells us, are found in Christ, hidden In Christ. We 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 need to know this when when we begin to think that our next vacation is gonna bring us ultimate fulfillment. Or once we land that new job, or we finally get that raise and that retirement plan, the the nicer phone, the cooler car, fill in the blank. Or or in the world of, of gender identity, we are told that we will be happy once. We can be who we really think we are. Or in the world of the American dream, we are told that we will be happy once we find a spouse, have a couple kids, and buy that house with the two-car garage. But, But like our very own Jen Oshman would say, these are all cultural counterfeits. The, the what of Paul's ministry says, don't settle for fake gold. Rather, get your eyes on the mystery, which is Christ. And, and in him, and only in him, do we begin to open up treasure chests full of wisdom and knowledge. True and lasting satisfaction. Amen. And just so you know our, our our why at Redemption Parker is as elders, if, if we ever, if we ever stop proclaiming Christ and the in the gospel, then we have lost our why. In in the words of, of the Apostle Paul, we want to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Because in that, or rather, in Him, we have everything. Paul's why is that the children of God would grow up into maturity through a heavy diet of Christ. Now, before we get to Paul's how, I I did say that we would come back to verse 24. So let me read that again. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Interesting verse. A lot of ink spilled in this passage. Um, what this verse does not mean is that in any way, Christ's atonement, his suffering on our behalf, was insufficient. At first glance, it kind of sounds like that, right? What is lacking in Christ's affliction for the church, but Hermeneutics 101, basic Bible interpretation teaches us to always interpret a harder passage in light of the much easier passages. And the Bible is extremely clear on this point: the blood of Jesus' cross was not lacking anything for the sake of our redemption. Unlike the blood of animal sacrifices that that had to be made year after year after year, the the blood of Christ is a once and for all kind of blood. Jesus, the the Lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. And that happened. That was accomplished 2,000 years ago and did not lack anything. Most of us in this room have experienced the efficacy of the blood of Christ. If you haven't, don't miss out. We, we, we all invite you to, to join us in trusting Jesus this morning. Now back to this tough verse. Can't just say what it's not. I got to try to unpack what it means let me read it again. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, that is the church. Can't go into too much detail here, for the sake of time. But but some think this has to do with the the messianic woes, and so in the last days, that the people of God will have to suffer. That's what. Everyone believed, the Jews and obviously Christ and and, and the apostles. If you just read Revelation 6, it speaks about this tribulation and persecution are coming for the people of God. And so that is what Paul is speaking of here. Maybe I wasn't convinced by by that argument. Other believe that Jesus' death... Lacking nothing in regards to the atonement, but not everyone got to witness his death. So, so in a missionary sense, it was lacking. When 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 Paul suffers for the sake of the gospel, unreached people get to witness a glimpse of the gospel, a glimpse of the cross, and I I, I think that view is is closer to what Paul meant, but but I still think it's lacking, and then. Now Paul does say in Philippians chapter 3 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So, so, so there is an actual participation in Christ's sufferings that, that Christians are able to share as they suffer. But I think in 2 Corinthians um, we have more of what Paul is actually getting at here. In 2 Corinthians one six, he says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Hmm. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience the same sufferings that we suffer. So, so whatever Paul is going through, whether affliction, suffering, comfort, its purpose is in his why, that the children would see him and grow up. That they would be likewise encouraged when suffering comes for them. That they would themselves participate with Christ in his sufferings, as God often uses suffering to conform us into the image of his son and edify his body. Scott McKnight says, quote, One has to think here that Paul knows his sufferings are not atoning or saving, but that they benefit the church in its hearing of the gospel, the instruction in the faith, and in the way of life for the church. And therefore, the benefits is for the salvation and sanctification of the church through Paul's God-given vocation. By entering into the sufferings of Christ, Paul, in this sense, reveals the gospel about Jesus. I think that's spot on. I I, I think that's what Paul is getting at here in our passage. But, But there's also an aspect of union with Christ in our suffering, in Christian suffering. Remember last week we talked Christ is the head of his body, so we are in Christ. Well, Paul has now experienced this kind of union with Christ on both sides as a persecutor and as one who has been persecuted, right? When he was persecuting Christians in the book of Acts, as a zealous Pharisee, Pharisee thinking that, that, that he was doing it all in service to God, what did God tell Paul on the road to, to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? Now, he, he didn't say that, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, now Paul is understanding what, what true service to God looks like. Suffering himself. A servant is not greater than his master, but his suffering is not by himself. He's sharing in Christ's suffering. Now, I don't want to get more morbid here, but, but, but if they did an autopsy on the Apostle Paul with his headless body, because we know from church history he, he got his head chopped off for being a Christian... Um, what story would his body tell? Thrown into prison frequently, flogged severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times he received from the Jews the 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with stones, they thought he was dead consistent verbal opposition and abuse, constant false accusation, betrayal, betrayal from fellow Christians. Paul knew church hurt. Shipwreck, homelessness, hunger, sleepless nights. Paul's list goes on and on, and it shows us just how strong his why was. He says in Second Timothy, I endure everything. For the sake of the elect. Paul was able to endure all of this, and not just to endure. Our, our passage says, Now I rejoice. Rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Does your why help you embrace the suffering that comes or is coming to you as a follower of Christ? Jesus promises that we will experience suffering? Does your why enable you to rejoice when it comes? Or is your why more influenced by our culture? Maybe your why is avoid suffering at all costs. Is Paul just like one of the craziest Navy SEALs out there? Pain is weakness leaving the body. Or does Paul have one of the strongest whys in human history? What's your why? What's the, the purpose of your existence? Paul not only knew his, he, he knew that in his suffering, he was participating with Christ in his suffering, being conformed to his likeness and encouraging other believers through his pain. He also knew that through his union with Christ, when any member of the body is persecuted, so is Jesus. Jesus is one with his church. But this idea of union with Christ is also how. How Paul was able to live out his why. And I believe This could have the potential for you to live out yours. So look at verse 29 with me. Paul's how. For this I toil. He's still talking about his why. Presenting everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. I love this. Paul's like, I had the the Mamba mentality before Kobe was on the scene. And I knew my why, Paul says, so I got after it. I I toiled. I struggled. In 1 Corinthians, he said, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Paul's why empowered him to get after it. But then he says, with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me I'm, I'm a bit of a coffee snob a, a typical millennial i guess but man a good light roast a single origin with some hints of of a blackberry and cherry I, I i feel like that's what i need to get after it energy and productivity all for the glory of god me and my coffee <laughs> Yeah, not Paul. Paul's energy and productivity does come from within, but it's not caffeine. It's him. Christ within. Verse 27 is is key to unlocking Paul's how. Let's read it together. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory the hope of glory this mystery Christ in you yet why would he settle for coffee Christ in you this is Paul's how and, and this mystery Christ in you could be I think revolutionary in your life as well Now this, this doctrine is one that that we bring up from the pulpit now and again, it's called union with Christ. But, but most of the time when we speak of union, it's because we come to some phrase in the new Testament that's talking about us being in Christ. This Pauline phrase in Christ occurs 164 times in his letters. This is the reason that most scholars think um, that, 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 that Paul's main theme in all of his letters is union with Christ. Being in Christ is not just another benefit of the gospel, like justification and sanctification, but rather the house that all the benefits of being in Christ reside in. For instance, a few of them from Paul's letters. If you're a Christian, you are justified in Christ. Possess eternal life in Christ. Glorified in Christ. Sanctified in Christ. Called in Christ. Elected in Christ. Raised with Christ. Adopted as children of God in Christ. Made alive in Christ Christ. Been created anew in Christ. Being in Christ is kind of a big deal. One pastor theologian has said, the the heart of Paul's religion is union with Christ. This, more than any other conception, is the key which unlocks the secrets of his soul. I love that. The secrets of his soul unlocked with union with Christ. In other words, we can be a gospel centered church all we want, but our gospel must be rooted in Christ. One author in his book on union with Christ says Christ's saving work is of no benefit to us unless we are joined to the living savior whose work it is. Being joined to Christ is a big deal and has massive implications. We often understand salvation as something that Christ has purchased for us. Instead of understanding salvation as the receiving of Christ himself. We can understand the gospel as the good news of of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and that it has merited us some wonderful gifts like grace and justification and eternal life, rather than a gospel that offers us the very person of Christ, who is himself the grace of God, justification, eternal life, so on and so forth. But if union with Christ is a coin, being in Christ, as we've been talking about, is one side of the coin, The other side is this idea of Christ in us, which Paul picks up on in verse 27. Christ is not for us if he is not in us. Christ is not for us if he is not in us. The reformer John Calvin said it like this. We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Therefore, to share in what He has received from the Father, He had to become ours and to dwell within us. For I, for as I have said, all that He possesses is nothing, to us until we grow into one body with him. End quote. most Christians I know think and talk about Christ as Savior outside themselves, rather than the Savior who dwells within. Well what Paul says here in Colossians, this this mystery, which is Christ in you, the, the hope of glory it is not just some fun, abstract doctrine that, 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 that we can try to wrap our minds around and, and, and chop up and then quickly forget when it's time to get back to real life. No, this mystery, Christ in you, this doctrine, union with Christ is real life itself. It's what can empower you to to life and life abundant. It can be the engine that takes your why and lives it out. But there's a reason that that this doctrine is also very neglected. It's, it's, It's a mystery. Christ in us. We like A plus B equals C. That's why we love the doctrine of justification. By grace alone, through faith, in Christ alone, I am declared by God to be righteous in his sight. I can speak that to myself, taking a deep breath, praising God that he has taken my sin upon himself and given me his righteousness. And praise God for the doctrine of justification. But Christ dwelling in me? Come on. Really? Yeah, really. And we must get our minds to think about what this means. This, this is a spiritual reality that if we have eyes to see can be revolutionary in our lives. How we live. In Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But do but, but you have spiritual eyes to, to see this reality, to feel this reality? Are, are you willing to lean into this mystery, which is Christ in you? One commentator says, for, for when Christ looks at each of us, He does not simply say mine. He also says home. I love that. I don't know about you guys, but I'm done pushing aside this mystery. We must lean into it. Again, Calvin says, let us therefore labor more to feel Christ living in us than to discover exactly how. I love that. Calvin says, let us therefore labor more to feel Christ living in us than to discover exactly how. Embrace this mystery of Christ living in you and labor with all your might to feel Christ living in you. And go live out of that. Paul Paul's why, as we saw earlier, was the people of God growing up into maturity and what did he do to accomplish his why christ 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 he ministered christ to the people so that they would behold christ and be changed into his likeness and how how did paul do all this christ in you union with christ christ in paul Whatever your why is, if you're a Christian, Christ is in you. Don't spend all day vacuuming the house only to remember that somebody bought you a Roomba. Like you have a robot vacuum living in the closet. And likewise, let Christ, who is in you, empower you to finish your race. And the job that he gave you, the, the, the why, to, to, to know him and make him known. Spend some time this week pondering your union with Christ. Imagine the impact that, that this can have on your why. And what about us? At, at Redemption Parker, our why is that we exist to enjoy Jesus and make disciples Imagine what it would look like to live out our why by leaning into this mystery, which is Christ in us. Our our website says it's okay to not be okay. Jesus will meet you where you're at. What if when people walk into the Pace Center, they, they meet Jesus through worship and the word preached, but also because, well... Christ is in us amen amen let me pray oh Lord thank you for your grace thank you for your gospel thank you that your gospel places us in Christ God thank you that part of that union is that Christ is in us Lord help us as we leave here today Help us to be reminded what our why is, why we exist. Help us to give some thought, God, to, to ponder at some point this week the fact that Christ is in us, God, that that would empower us to do your will. For the glory of your name we pray, amen.